it was kind of surreal. I was there just after the earthquake. We have all the aftershocks. And I could see all the chaos and destruction. Why I should continue to live if all this have to happen to me? Bienvenue, or welcome. I'm your host, Leslie Friday. Thank you for listening to Voices of Haiti, a Partners in Health podcast that shares the stories of our Haitian colleagues as they reflect on the January 12, 2010 earthquake. This week, we hear from a doctor who took extraordinary measures to save the life of one of his patients. She was losing blood rapidly after surgery, and the OBGYN knew he had to act fast. I remember I found two units in the blood bank, but the two units weren't able to stop the hemorrhage because they are not fresh blood. And then the patient needs fresh blood to stop the hemorrhage. And then I gave to the patient my blood. And then it was quickly after the hemorrhage was stopped. And then the patient was recovering about one week in the hospital after the patient was going home. Who among us would have taken that same action? I hope many, but I fear few. This doctor acted on his belief that every single person deserves good health care, deserves a right to health. It's a lesson that hits particularly home these days, when the world is pivoting sharply to respond to the novel coronavirus, which the WHO recently declared a global pandemic. Today's story is another example of how Haitian clinicians responded to the crisis that was the 2010 earthquake. Like many first responders, they ran toward patients in need, just as doctors and nurses are doing today to COVID-19. They stood in solidarity. They acted on hope. And they used their talents to save as many lives as possible. Let's meet one of those heroes now. My name is Christophe Millier, and I am the chairman of the Obedrian Department at Mirbala University Hospital, and also deputy chief medical officer. Like all doctors in Haiti, Millier completed one year of social service immediately after graduation. His post was in Las Caubas with Zamila Sante, as Partners in Health is known in Haiti. There, he met Dr. David Walton, an American and current PIH board member who became his mentor. I started in Zamila Sante in 2003 as a resident in social service in Las Caubas. At this period, I met with Dr. David Walton and Paul Farmer, and then I get embedded in social medicine. I remember at this period how Dr. David Walton was working so hard in the hospital, and I said as a nation, but she's working from 6 to 6 p.m., but how can I just coming in the clinic and then leaving at 4? Because I feel that I have this responsibility to continue to work aside him because he's staying in the hospital. He, he was a model for me. And then after my social service, I went back to Port-au-Prince doing my specialty in obstetric and gynecology. Millien returned in 2008 to Las Calvas and found Dr. Walton still there. Together, they improved operations at the hospital. The public noticed, and soon more expectant mothers arrived to give birth there. When I started working in Las Calvas, the number of deliveries at the beginning were so low, so about 30 deliveries a month. And then I left the hospital with 100, 150 deliveries a month, 120. 150 depending on the month, meaning that we really increase the number of deliveries in the hospital. As a young physician, you need to learn from people, going to the ground, understand people, 
and then not trying to be a boss but trying to provide accompaniment to support people and then to move forward and to learn as well because if you don't understand the social context the reality you will be losing the beauty of your work two years passed and Milian continued to learn and gain more responsibilities within Zamila Sante. On the afternoon of January 12, 2010, he and several colleagues were in an ultrasound training in Cange, led by a professor from the United States. The capital of Port-au-Prince was more than an hour's drive to the south, yet they felt the ground move under them. We were in the class, and Cange, the building was shaking, and then... I didn't understand that, right? And Professor Alfred told us, it's a, it's a earthquake. And then just get, get out. And then we'll get out the room and then we stay out, outside. But what was striking me, was hours after the earthquake, no phone communication, no possibility to communicate with your families because my wife was living in Port-au-Prince and then I was in the countryside. I need to communicate, but it wasn't possible to do that. Millian's first thought was of his wife, who was pregnant with their first child and living in Port-au-Prince. I stay all the day and then without having any news about them, meaning I don't know if they died, I don't know if they are alive. That was a little bit stressing moment. And then in the morning after, when I went to Port-au-Prince, I saw and then a bunch of you know buildings which are collapsed. And at the same time, you see dead people on the ground. And then I understand that it's, gonna, it's something difficult. And then I was a little bit more stressed because now I feel that my wife also can die. When I get home, I saw my wife and then, okay, I was okay. But I have one of my cousins who, who was at University of Jose. And then I would like to know because the university was collapsed. And then I go to see my brothers. And then we go to see our cousin. And then arriving there, or cousin, or, or cousin died. This next part may be triggering for some listeners. Milian and his family wanted to put his cousin to rest in their hometown in rural Haiti. The journey was a harrowing experience. He still remembers to this day. We went to Petit with the dead body. While we went to Petit it was so sad to see so many dead bodies on the ground. And then we have a laboratory school, right? Aside of the lower faculty, we see a pile of dead body together outside of the faculty. And then I start crying. Going further, my the state university where I got my degree in medicine was collapsed. And then the nursing school was collapsed. The hospital where I got my training was collapsed. And then we still continue for the house, dead body. And you can see, for example, the harm. Someone can be alive, and then the harm is 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 trapped under the under the, the, the building. It's really crazy. And then sometimes it's the food. You know, it's really crazy to see this. You know, really sad to see these these kind of things. And then I start crying. And then after we went to Petit Guave, we buried the body of her cousin, and we went back to Port-au-Prince. Culturally in Haiti, when your family member died, you pick him up and then to go to the, to put him in a, in a grave. Sometimes you can put flowers, sit, but it's where you put all people together. But this was really, really painful, right? 
Fortunately for my cousin, we found the body and then we buried him at any grave, but most of the people are buried together. And until now, it's something that you have in your mind. This kind of situation, it's make you sad. Clinicians like Milian deeply understand the value of life because they see its fragility every day. The earthquake only further convinced him of what he needed to do and where he had to be for himself and for his nation. We work so hard and then to support our brothers and sisters because it's an obligation for you as a physician to help people who are really sick and then we need your help. Milian may not know how many patients he's served over the years, but there are some whose stories stick out in his mind, like the woman to whom he gave his own blood. I have so many experience in women's health. And mainly, I remember a patient, a pregnant woman, who came at me at Balea University Hospital. I did a C-section for this patient. But fortunately, after the C-section, the patient was bleeding, right? And I said, why? I did the C-section. I think I did it well, but the patient was bleeding. What's happened? The patient developed a DIC. And, you know, one, one of big biggest problem that we have in Haiti. It's about availability of blood. I didn't have blood for this patient. I went to the blood bank, I give my blood, and then I gave it and then I I asked the driver of the because every unit of blood that you have in the hospital needs to be examined, need to be evaluated in the lab and protocols. It turned out Millian's blood was a match and therefore safe to give to his patient. And then the patient needs fresh blood to stop the hemorrhage. And then I gave to the patient my blood. And then it was quickly after the hemorrhage was stopped. And then the patient was recovering about one week in the hospital after the patient was going home. And I remember when I went to port au to buy fruit. I saw a person saying, da, 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 da. I'm trying to see who. But, and then, do you remember me? I'm just trying to be kind. Yes. And then I said, yes, but I didn't remember exactly. And then, do you remember? You give me your blood. Wow. That's make me so, 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 right? It was so emotional. I failed to cry. I did. Oh, I remember you now. And then I remember and the patient, we talked together and then saying, I can't say, I can't, I can't stop saying thank you, dog. I said, it's normal to help you because it's our responsibility as a physician to help patients who are in difficult situation. I was really happy and then I gave her a hug and then they go out in my car and then talk to her, give her a hug to say, I'm really happy that now. And then she, she showed me the, the kids. It was so impressive, you know. These kind of things give you the joy, give you the give you the courage to continue to do the job, even the situation is difficult. This is a kind of source of motivation. We all need motivation, especially right now. Next week, we again hear from Milian and from Dr. Maxi Raymondville, who shared his story in the previous podcast episode. Together, they share their memories of an extremely unique case, the delivery and separation of conjoined twins at University Hospital in Mirabalay. Continue to learn and explore more stories about Zamila Sante and PIH by visiting pih.org.
www.voicesofhaiti.org backslash Haiti. Follow Voices of Haiti on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. And look for us at Partners in Health on Instagram or at PIH on Twitter and DM us with any comments or questions. As always, thank you for listening and talk to you again on the next episode.